Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on Essentials, Foundations of Christianity. So let me ask you a question. I want you to think about this. What person has impacted your life the greatest? No matter how old you are, 25, 45, maybe 12, maybe 60, what person has had the greatest influence in your life, and what was it about that person that caused them to have such great influence and impact? I've been blessed personally. Every person is not blessed the way I've been blessed in this area, but I've been tremendously blessed to have two amazing women in my life day in and day out. My mom was phenomenal. My mom was a servant. My mom invested so much in my life. I am much today who I am as a result of how that woman shaped me and loved me and cared for me. And then some 28 years ago, I was fortunate to marry an incredible woman, woman of God, who's a servant. And I can tell you right now, and many of you here know that Barb is a servant. The word serve is all about investing and impacting and making a difference in the life of somebody else. Who impacted you the greatest? If you had to write those names down, one or two, who would it be? And what was it? What were the character traits that shaped you? One of my favorite servants that I've studied is a lady by the name of Mother Teresa. She made this statement. She said, let us touch the dying, the poor. Let us touch the lonely and the unwanted according to the graces that we have received from the Lord. And let us not be ashamed to do the humble work. Being unwanted, unloved, uncared for, forgotten by everybody, I think that is a greater hunger, a much greater poverty than the person who has nothing to eat. She was a servant. Before she died in 1997, she had founded over 610 missions in 123 different countries. She was a small, little, frail, little lady. I remember back in the early 2000s, they asked her to speak at the National Day of Prayer, and she rebuked our nation for how we murder the unborn and how we refuse to really genuinely serve the least of these. She was a little frail thing, but she had a passion to be a difference maker, and she had a passion to serve. Her ministry was to the poor and to the homeless. This included hospices, homes for people with HIV and leprosy, soup kitchens, counseling programs, orphanages, schools. Where are you serving? Where do you invest your time, your resources, and your energy? Jesus was the ultimate servant. Jesus Christ himself made the statement I did not come to be served, but I came to serve 
and to give my life as a ransom for many. The greatest servant of all time is Yeshua, Jesus himself. That's, a, that's again the reason Paul would say in Philippians 2, have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he possessed equality with God, he did not grasp it as something to boast about, but he laid it aside and he took on the, took on the form of a servant and he became obedient even to death on the cross. Here's what I know. Every person under my voice, here's what I know for each of us. Serving God is costly. Serving God's going to cost you something. You're going to have to give up something. It requires humility. At times, it requires being inferior. It requires becoming broken. It requires forfeiting the worldly and earthly to invest in the eternal. It's costly. The the requirement is this, guys. Jesus desires to be your priority, not a pastime. And, And so many people in the South in the Bible Belt who go through the motions treat Christ at times like he's a pastime. He's not priority. And when we start to study and ponder, again, we say here at the cross that Jesus didn't come to take part, he came to take over, and he does not desire to be just a mere resident in your life. He desires to be president, authority, ruler of everything that we do. One of the things I've learned over the years since embracing the gospel in October of 1985 is that Jesus Christ does not want the leftovers. When it comes to stewarding our time, when it comes to stewarding those 10,080 minutes we get every week, so many minutes you get and I get, 10,080, he he doesn't want the leftovers. When it comes to our money, he, he doesn't want the leftovers. The teaching throughout scripture is first fruit, which means when you get something, set aside that first 10 plus and Honor Christ with your wealth. He doesn't want leftovers. He wants to be priority. When he becomes priority and central and he starts calling the shots, it's amazing the freedom that you'll start to walk in. Priority, not pastime. We must discipline ourselves if we're going to serve the Lord. We must discipline ourselves. The word discipline that even Paul would use in writing to Timothy is the word gymnaza in the Greek. It's where we get the English word gymnasium from. And it means to exercise in such a way that will bring glory unto your king. I've got a gymnaza for God. There's a lot of us in here that have spent time in the gym physically training. And the emphasis is if you're going to serve God, you've got to discipline yourself to do it. And you've got to spend time in God's weight room. I've got to condition myself with the things of God. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, God has given each of you spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. God has given every person who has repented and placed their faith and confidence in Jesus Christ, he's given us all spiritual gifts. Use those to serve one another. He didn't say use those to build up your wealth or use those to build up your own bio, whatever you've been given, use it to glorify God. We've got to be motivated every day to serve and glorify God. I started thinking about this in my own journey. It's like, 
if you were to cut me open and go, what's the motivation? The motivation is the reason and the why. What's your, what's your why? What's your reason? I'm like, well, I'm, I'm motivated out of obedience and gratitude when I start to think about it. What motivates you to serve, Tim, to serve God? Obedience and gratitude. Man, he told me to go make disciples. And it's not a burden, it's a blessing. And it's not fatiguing, it's joyful when you're in the game. I promise you it is. What motivates you? I want to obey my king. Psalm chapter 100 verse 1 says, Shout with joy to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Shout. We sing, we shout, we praise him. But he says, serve God with gladness. Do it with a glad heart. Focus on others. And and you've got to ask the question, where am I serving? Who am I serving? Who am I investing in? What is God calling me to do? To be a difference maker. What, are the, what, what is the people group? Go impact. Go influence. Go be a difference maker. What else motivates you? I'm motivated by forgiveness. Man, when I think that God has forgiven all my sin and nailed it to the cross and that I am justified and I'm clean in Jesus' eyes, what motivates you to serve? I'm forgiven. Man, he didn't hold my sin against me. I could have spent eternity alienated, separated, destined for hell. I deserve that. What motivates you, Tim? I'm forgiven. When God looks at me, he looks at me through the blood of Christ, and he goes, you are clean. I mean, think about that in your own journey. The reason a lot of people don't serve is that they don't believe that God has really cleansed them. They look in the mirror and they still see their past and they allow the echo and message of yesterday to still bring definition into today. And when I look in the mirror, God goes, you are forgiven and clean because I say you are. Your behavior of the past don't define you. My son's sacrifice and resurrection and the glory of the cross does. You're clean. When you serve, I'm forgiven. Why do you serve? I'm motivated by love. The love of Christ, he says in 2 Corinthians 5, compels us. We're told in Galatians 5.13, serve one another in love. You think about this. The more we love God, the more we'll serve God. And the more we love God, the more we'll serve and love others. Man, God gets a hold of your heart and all of a sudden, it's like, Man, he's transforming me. And service that cost nothing, come on, Kara, usually accomplishes nothing. Service that costs you nothing usually accomplishes nothing. And here's what we believe. We believe that one of the best ways that you're going to discover even spiritual gifts in your life is through serving. We believe one of the best ways that you're going to grow deeper in your walk with Christ is through serving. We believe one of the greatest ways that you're going to connect with others is through serving. We believe that the Cross Loganville, the only chance we have of infiltrating Loganville and beyond is when an army of servants 
rally together and touch the lost, the dying, and the hurting. Kara, share with us some of those volunteer serving opportunities that we have here, babe. Yeah, so I love the idea of having an army here of servants where we're able to reach, as Tim says, Loganville and beyond. I just want to say thank you, first of all, to the volunteers that make everything happen, that, that are the hands, truly the hands and feet of Jesus here on this campus. We're so grateful for. I was raised in the church, and oftentimes I saw that most of the volunteers, the volunteers were about 20% of the congregation. 20% of the congregation usually allowed the, the church to do its ministry, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Um, and what I want to challenge you guys today is we want to see even more than 20% here. We want to see so many of you flourish in serving, but I will say serving is just not to fill a need. We're not asking you to come here and fill a need. What we're asking is that you come and make an impact for the kingdom, to utilize your spiritual gifts that God gave you to be able to reach others. And I'm telling you, you will grow beyond belief. Like Tim said, uh, you know, we kind of wait sometimes till we feel like we're equipped. It's time to step forward. And so what we're going to do is we're going to start calling our volunteer team the impact team, because we believe you guys are the ones that make an impact for the kingdom here. We love watching our volunteers flourish in their different areas. There are some areas where we have a lot of people uh, fill in for and others where we really have a need. Um, so the first where we always have a need is in kids ministry. Um, and and I'm, not, I'm not saying we need people to wipe butts. We need people to babysit. We need people to take care of these kids and keep them quiet. No, I am asking for individuals that will make an impact in the next generation of believers, that will make an impact in the next body of Christ. So uh, we have a need in the kids area. We also uh, have a kitchen team that gives them themselves on Wednesdays. Uh, they, they serve dinner. They do special events where we're able to feed individuals that need it. We have so many different opportunities. We have special events. So we have VBS every year, which is such an outreach to this community. We had something like 200 kids last year come that we were able to make an impression on for Jesus. Um, we have, with special events, we have Melanie and Patrick who are doing outreach in Atlanta. Uh, we believe in these ministries and we want you to be able to get plugged in here. So I'm going to encourage you with this. Um, the last, a lot of you who know me that the last season of my life, uh, I went through a complicated pregnancy. It was the most difficult time, difficult season of my life. And one of the key people um, during that time was a lady named Teresa. She's a Bostonian Italian. And she uh, volunteered when I was a child up in Boston. I was, a kid's I was a pastor's kid up in Boston. And she gave of herself in the church. She was a prayer warrior. She volunteered in many different areas. And she spoke life into me. And she challenged me. And not only did she challenge me then, but she was, she was one of the people that would call me every other day, if not every day, to see how I was doing, where my faith was at, pray over me. We believe that this is not just an impact for the here and now, but it's for things to come. When you're making an impact with our young people or with our children, it's not just who they are right now, but you're making an impact in their marriages 
You're making an impact in their children and in their relationships with Jesus. So we want to encourage you to jump in. There are so many opportunities. As you uh, walked in, you'd see in the cafe, there are a bunch of different stations with different opportunities for you to sign up. And I would challenge you today to consider stepping out in faith, using your spiritual gifts, and becoming a servant in this army. Thank you so much. Amen. Good job. Let me hit this as we consider this servant piece, okay? I want you to think about this. Read Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus 4 over the next days, over the next week, if you will. One of the things that we have to overcome and confront if we're genuinely going to serve, you've got to do it, and I've had to do it. You've got to overcome excuses. When you read Exodus 3 and 4, it's interesting God tells Moses, I'm sending you to Pharaoh, and you're going to tell him to let my people go. Israel's under Pharaoh's and Egypt's captivity right now, and Israel are my chosen people. Israel means to struggle and wrestle with God, but yet will prevail. And I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, and Moses immediately throws an excuse on the table. Ah, I'm afraid. That's what he says. Chapter 3, verse 11, Moses said, who am I to confront Pharaoh and to lead Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? I'm, I'm afraid. I can't do that. And fear cripples the church and keeps so many individuals ineffective. I've seen so many people over the years that were gifted, that had incredible abilities, that stayed on the sidelines and never engaged in the game because they were afraid. Authentic faith will confront fear. You're going to get the ball. Okay. I want the ball. I want to play in the big game. I want that moment. I, I got to have it. I want to compete. I want it to count. I want to be out there when the game's on the line. Do you? Fear cripples so many people. And when we're afraid, we will refuse to have difficult conversations, even with people that we love at times, because it's like, well, if I say something, it's going to hurt their feelings. I, 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 I just don't know how to present it to them. I'm not sure how they're going to respond, so I, I'm afraid. Moses was afraid. I'm scared. I don't even know how to do this. God was saying, Moses, I want you to confront your fears, dude. If I'm going to use you, you're going to have to overcome some of the mind monsters that you have. God's response, you're afraid? Cool. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. He said in verse 12, do not fear, Moses. I will be with you every step of the way. And one of the things that we have to realize, and the only way we learn this is by taking that initial step of faith and trusting God in the difficult or whatever seems might uh, be impossible at the time. When you take that first step, you confront your fears. And what you're saying is, God, I'm going to trust your courage instead of my abilities. The first time I ever went out to share 
1986, we want you to come share your testimony. I'm four, year, uh, four months into the faith. I'm scared. I don't know how to stand in front of people. I don't make any sense. I made a 575 on the SAT. I'm dumber than a brick. People, uh, they're, they're, I, don't, I can't do this. And that was my mindset. There was like 20 guys in this little prayer men's meeting or whatever, breakfast. You got 20 minutes. All right. And after four minutes, I was done. I thought I prepared for 20. I was four minutes in, and Butch, I'm like, done. I'm like, I'll never do that again. I'm scared. I'm not articulate. They're, they're going to think I'm an idiot. I, I can't do it. Anybody else there? You've allowed the mind monster straight from hell to keep you incarcerated, if you will, spiritually. Why don't you serve? I'm afraid. Why don't you give? I'm afraid. Why don't you share your faith? I'm afraid. Why don't you pray with that person? I'm afraid. I was afraid of pretty much anything that's going to hit you. I've been walking with Jesus for like two months. And my buddy Jeff, I've told this story, but I'll never forget the old Baptist flavor, hey, we're going to take up the offering. And you would walk up and grab the offering plate, and the pastor would usually call on one of the dudes, Tim, lead us in prayer. <sighs> Jeff, I can't do that out loud, dude. I'm scared. Pray, dude. I ain't praying. I'm scared. You pray. I didn't pray. Jeff prayed. Get home. I'm on my face. I'm like, why am I scared? If perfect love casts out all fear, and if you haven't given me a spirit of fear, why am I so afraid? He's like, you going to trust me or trust you? I really want to trust you. Then pray. When you pray, you're talking to me, not to them. Who cares if they like what you say to me? For real? I mean, I'm not saying you say stuff that takes them off, but Talk to me the way you talk to me. Guys, every mind monster that you're going to battle, I guarantee I have. You're scared? I'm, I'm scared. Nervous? I, I remember getting the phone call to us to do my first funeral up in Indiana. Barb and I just got married, and they, the dude that made my wedding band, praise God for silicone, I don't like wearing gold anymore, but anyway, the guy that made my original wedding band, uh, his wife's ex-husband died of alcohol poisoning. They're like, uh, hey, you're the only guy that's really like a Jesus guy that we know. I'm like, really? Yeah, we, we don't know anybody else. Y'all don't go to church anywhere? No, nah, dude, we, we don't do that. We, hey, this guy died. How did he die? He, he drank like a guppy, man. His liver pretty much was shot. He... Uh, he was an alcoholic pretty bad. Would you do his funeral? Like, for real? And God goes, yeah, do his funeral. I'm like, how am I going to do that one? I don't even know this dude. I don't even know the family. I sat down with the, the kids, and they started telling me about dad. But pretty much every story was flooded with drunkenness. And I'm like, all right, I'll do it. 
I'm going to share Christ at this thing. That's the only thing I know how to do. How do I talk about this guy? I get there. They do the funeral at the country club. And there's black olives and green olives. And people are just walking around like it's the big chill. And I'm like, I saw that movie. If, if you were going to do the funeral, how would you do it? And I'm like, Lord, I need, I'm, I need help. Just sit around and talk to them. And let them know you care and Barb cares and let them know that I love them. I can do that. I'm telling you, the majority of stuff that you're confronted with where God is saying, pray for that person, share your story with that person, engage with that person, and you're scared, I've been there with you. And, and the dude that God used to write the Ten Commandments was scared. You willing to confront it? I'm scared. There, there was a girl after the second service last week started telling me her story, and I called a, a couple. I'm like, hold, hold, hold on, i got to get this other couple because what you're telling me that you got pregnant and, and got on drugs and lost your child and was incarcerated, I, I, I know somebody else that can identify with you. They're like, for real? There's somebody that can identify with that? Yes, because we're all broken in here, and we come from different brokenness. And, and my friend's been rescued and transformed, and God's doing a work in their life. Let me, go, let me go get them. And this girl starts telling her story to them. I, was, I got pregnant, got on drugs, and I lost my child. And my friend said, you're telling my story. And the girl started weeping. You identify with that? Yes. We'll walk with you. D don't waste it. What you scared of? All right, so here, here's another excuse. Moses used this one. They won't listen. Let's say I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your fathers has sent me to rescue you. And then they reply, what's his name? What should I tell him? Influencing others to change can be tough. You know it as well as I do. When we've lived in sin and we've lived separated from God, and then all of a sudden, bam, something happens, and we're so thankful, Butch, that we see the light and we start walking. But trying to tell other people at times that don't want to change, and we go, you want me to go share my story there? Yeah. Well, they're not going to listen. How do you know? Some of us have never shared our story. What's the use? They're going to laugh at me. They're going to mock me. They're going to cuss me out. I, I can't do that. Moses is like, these people are frustrated and ticked. They do not want to hear from me. God's response. It's not about you. I am who I am. This is what you tell the people of Israel. I am has sent me to rescue you. The eternal God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the one who has sent me. This is my name forevermore. I am who I am. Hey, Moses, go tell, go, go tell Pharaoh to let 
My people go. They're not going to want to listen to me. Tell them I am sent you. Remember, I've called you to be my witness, not my lawyer. I just want you to go witness and tell them what I've told you to say. Don't, you don't have to be a lawyer. It's not about you. And the reason a lot of us won't share is we're like, I'm afraid and they're not going to listen. So we've already made conclusions before we even entertain the assignment. Come on. I, I can't do that. And then as soon as a person tells you to go to hell and they don't want to hear what you have to say, you take it personal. And they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting God. God is the one that's trying to pursue them and win them and rescue them and deliver them. And I've had people tell me that. I'm like, you're not rejecting me. What's your excuse? Now, this is Moses God's going to let him write the Ten Commandments and he's going to see the seas part and burning bushes and all this cool stuff is going to happen with Moses. And God says, hey, Mel, Mo, come here, man. I'm afraid. Man, they're not going to listen. Third excuse. These people won't trust me. You know where I've been and what I've done. I killed that Egyptian. They're not going to trust anything I have to say. You ever felt that way? Again, they're, they're not going to trust me. That's what he said. If they don't trust me, what, what about if they don't listen? They are more likely to reply, the eternal one has not revealed himself to you. It's like God is saying, hey, I want you to go love those people. And I want you to risk being a difference maker. I want you to be passionate about the process of doing what I've asked you to do. I don't want you to be attached to an outcome. As soon as you get attached to an outcome, you'll give up the desire to obey God in the moment. It's not about the outcome. It's about honoring God in the moment. God's response. Moses is like, they're not, they're not going to trust me. God's response, Moses what do you have in your hand? I, I got a staff, my shepherd's staff. Throw it on the ground. He throws it on the ground. As soon as it hits the ground, it's transformed into a snake. God looks and says, Mo, pick it up by its tail. All righty. I, I, I. I think Moses was probably more scared of snakes than he was telling the people and telling Pharaoh. And as soon as the staff became a snake, I hate snakes. Hate them. I know some of y'all got pet snakes, and I think y'all are crazy, Paul Maddox. But he says, grab it by the tail. And this is what God said. This will be a sign so the people will believe that I am the God of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This will be a sign, Moses, I'll give you. Moses doubted his ability. And the reason some of us don't do what God's asking us to do is we doubt our ability. But it's never based on our ability. It's based on the power of God. If it was based on our ability to change people, then it would be all about us. 
Just, just go share with them. That's the reason, Dustin, spontaneous obedience and acting in the moment when the Holy Spirit just kind of provokes you is so crucial. What am I going to say? Don't worry about it. And that's the fourth excuse. Moses is like, man, I am not smart enough. God, I can't spell. I can't read. I, I, I'm dumb. Please, Lord. This is what he says in chapter 4, verse 10. I am not good with words. I have never been good with words. I get tongue-tied. My words get all tangled up. It's like, wow. What was your excuse? The reason I don't serve is because I ain't got what it takes. The reason I don't serve is I don't know enough. The reason I don't serve is I don't know how to speak in public. The reason I don't do what God's asking me to do I am the king of excuses. I got one for every single thing I do. And reality is, in the natural, it's logical. Do the math. Do the math. Cash, you remember you gave that one, like, speech at Troy University? Yes. You remember you were... Nervous, yes. I was like a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. I was scared, yes. You remember that, yes. You remember you had four or five minutes in that, yes. Whoo, it was painful. You remember you said, I, I, I'm not doing that, yes. Do the math. You're not smart. Your grammar is terrible. Still is, honestly. Praise God for Barb and Julie. And for Microsoft Word, I'm telling you, if I didn't have that, if you see my notes, they, they laugh at me because it's like dot, dot, dot. I'm like, I don't know if they're a comma, semi I don't know what goes there. I know how to say it. I just don't know how to grammatically do it. But praise God when I get to the pearly gates that Peter's not going to say, we're taking you over to the English prof's house before you can get into the big house. I'm like, praise the Lord. It's not going to be like, now what did you make on the SAT or the ACT or what was your GPA? I'm not saying you should stay dumb. I was dumb. I didn't stay dumb. But it's like, let me, let me, let me, let me hit you with this. I don't know how to talk. I'm scared. You do the math. It's not going to work. In the logical, it don't work. But in the theological, it does work. In the supernatural, it does work. Because God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything that you can ask or think according to his power that dwells inside of you. I'm going to raise you up. Really? Yes. You're going to take my gospel to a professional people group. For real? I was telling someone this week, this ain't about me, but it's about God. When God got a hold of my heart, and I went back to spring training in 1986, pitching coach comes to faith. I'm sharing Christ with all these teammates. Ken Caminetti was a teammate. He ended up being National League MVP, all this kind of stuff. 
Uh, he was with the Astros who I was playing with. He went on with the Padres. But God started opening up these doors, okay? The, these, these doors to share my faith. I got rule five by the L.A. Dodgers. I'll never forget. I got to hang out with Sandy Koufax and Don Drysdale and some of the greatest names in baseball and, and hanging out. Sandy, what's your belief? And he was telling me he came from Jewish background, and I was able to share with him that it placed my faith in Jesus. I'm like, that was pretty cool right there. That's one of the biggest name guys who's in the Hall of Fame of all time for me. And then it was like, bam, you're out of the game now, but I want you to take the gospel to the baseball world. And I remember when we started doing these clinics and camps and we were sharing Christ. And my buddy Kevin Ward died about 10 days ago with some brain tumor, brain cancer. He lived out in Coronado. But Kevin came to faith when he was with the Padres. And Kevin ended up going out sharing his faith. And Kevin played football and baseball at the University of Arizona. And I was reading this the other day, Craig. And I'm like, man, I didn't know he... He was sick like that, but he, he, he's with the king. I know, I know where he's at, but God let me and Kevin do Bible studies together. But I was telling somebody, these doors started opening, and Pendleton prayed to receive Christ in my backyard, and Smoltz nailed down his faith journey, and all these dudes started responding to the gospel. Foxworthy in the Chick-fil-A parking lot on 120. I'll never forget going out with Jeff. And having one-on-one with Larry the Cable Guy, one-on-one with Ron White, and all these guys. And God goes, you're going to take my gospel to a variety of people groups. And these doors started opening, Dustin. Why? Here's what I believe. Not because I was smart, not because I was good, not because I was qualified. But because God is faithful, God cares, and God allowed my previous marinade of being in that culture to be used so that I could identify with those people and take the gospel to them. I'm scared, but I'll do it. And that's what Isaiah said. Here am I, send me. I'm scared. I'll do it. They're not going to listen to me. How do you know? Share with them. Well, I get tongue-tied, and I'm like Charlie Brown school teacher. Well, I, 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 it doesn't matter. I can still use you. On your good day, you're a donkey giving divinity a ride. So don't think it's about you. Get in the game. Get skin in the game. Get a place and start serving. Like Kara said, there's going to be tons of opportunity for you to sign up in the cafe area today. I got to get in the game. God has opened up and done stuff, Patrick, that's blown my mind. It's like, how'd you get to do that? I don't even know. It doesn't even matter. When Skip Carey died and they asked me to speak at his memorial at Turnerfield, I'm like, I go all the way back. Listen to me. Cash, would you speak of this? Yes. I overcame the hurdle in Indiana at the stinking country club, eating black olives with a dude that had died of alcohol poisoning. That's where I said, I'll I'll do a funeral. And there's been a lot more since. That was the first one, Paul. I'll never forget that. I was like, this is trippy. How do you do it? You can't read the Gospels. How do you do funerals? Well, read the Gospels. See how Jesus did them. Every funeral he attended, he told them to rise from the dead. He screwed up any model that I could go by. What'd you do? 
Get up. He ain't getting up. They've already cremated him. He's in a stinking urn. I had to go somewhere else to figure that one out. I mean, you ever studied the Gospels and go, I mean, come on, Richard, it's the truth. It's like, let's get in the game. Get skin in it. Serve. Serve with those little ones. Serve greeting. Make a difference somewhere. Thank you so much for watching the message today. We hope that this message inspired you and challenged you as you watched it. I encourage you to check out our website. It's thecrossloganville.org. There's a lot of information about our church there uh, that maybe can help you answer some questions about who we are. And don't forget that on our website, we have old messages and archived series. So you can spend a lot of time there learning and exploring. If you have any questions, you can contact us via the web or you could call us at the church at 770-554-3322. Thanks again for watching.